Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Kelly Halderman. I had a lot of fun with this conversation. I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes, and I think Dr. Kelly gives us a lot of great tips uh, for how to improve our phase 2.5 detoxification, and I hope this information is impactful to you. Dr. Kelly Halderman completed a family practice medicine internship with the University of Minnesota, has a naturopathic medical degree from Kingdom College of Natural Health, where she's the current academic dean of students. She holds certification in methylgenetic nutrition by the Nutrigenetic Research Institute and certification from the American Functional Neurology Institute in Functional Neurology and Neurofeedback. She coined phase 2.5 detoxification, which involves properly restoring biophysiology, our body's built-in toxin transport system. She's currently working on completing her PhD in clinical nutrition and has certification in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University. Her interests include proper detoxification, chronic Lyme, of which she's personally experienced in BEAT. She does consultations for those interested in optimizing their health. Welcome, Dr. Halderman. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me. Well, I, you know, am so excited to have our conversation. I um, first learned about your work through um, our mutual friend, uh, Scott Forsgren, and then I um, follow Dr. Neil Nathan's work, and I know he refers to your work in his new book, Toxic, and I know a lot of people are learning more about um, this phase 2.5 detoxification that you're really bringing um, to light, you know, to our community. So um, before we, you know, dive into a lot of, you know, this information, I know that you have a really uh, touching personal story that really um, led you to this journey of um, treating Lyme and chronic illness and cancer. And um, if you don't mind sharing that, I know our audience would love to hear your story and your path. Yeah, so when I was practicing medicine around 2010, I myself got really sick. I started to have really strange neurological symptoms, out of the blue, foot drop, and these just debilitating migraines. And of course, my colleagues said, oh, Kelly, it's just stress, you know, just keep on keeping on. And I knew it wasn't just stress. I knew that there was something physiologically going on. And I was eventually diagnosed with MS. And at that point, I was told to go home and spend time with my children and take some medications that were you know, covering up the, the symptoms that I was having. And I was not okay with that. And I, I, you know, as doctors, we do amazing heroic things uh, for patients. And when it came to this diagnosis, I needed to venture out on my own. I knew I wasn't going to get a root cause. I wasn't going to discover the root cause by taking medications. So I went and studied naturopathic medicine and I learned things such as nutrition, which I hadn't spent a whole lot of time learning in medical school to help me really honor my body's biochemistry because I believe that our bodies are designed to heal. So I was eventually diagnosed with Lyme disease and that was um, through a brilliant Lyme literate medical doctor and that really started me on my healing journey. So when we know the root cause, we can really start to address it and I, I, I clawed my way out of that hole. I did a lot of different things to help um, optimize my own health. I still do a lot of things to optimize my own health and I'm sure we'll talk about those. But really going through what I went through gives me a different appreciation 
for the people in my care, for the people sitting in front of me suffering. And that really drives my insatiable um, need to learn to continue studying. And that's really where phase 2.5 evolved. I had people in my care who were not getting better and specifically the SIBO patients where it was like this, the revolving door of SIBO. And I'm sure, uh, Christine, you, you have a lot of patients who just, you get hit a roadblock and it's, and it, and it's, it's frustrating, but it's also humbling because you go back and you start to study the biochemistry. And that's what I did. I, I started to try and figure out, okay, what was not working? What, you know, what am I missing? And, it was really through my genetic education, a background in, um, in genetics that I studied um, with Bob Miller and um, Ben Lynch and um, looking at that where I started to see patterns in biophysiology where the patients who I could not get better seemed to have issues in that. And so that kind of got me studying. I read a paper by Shaden Decker and that introduced me to the mechanism of how we get toxins out of our body. And it really rung a bell because I remember when I was sick, I was put on detoxification protocols and by really brilliant, well-meaning practitioners. And I would get on these protocols and I would feel horrible. And I didn't get any better. I'd get acne and more brain fog. And, and what was going on is that my phase 2.5 was shut down. And so I couldn't get the toxins out. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it all started. And I think you, you bring up a lot of topics that we'll dive into over this conversation, but one I just want to highlight right away is that um, when people are struggling with chronic illness, there's this, um, can, like this idea in our community that people have to, you know, get worse before they get better. And, you know, we, of course, as you know, practitioners and physicians, um, it's part of the most painful part of our work when people crash or don't do well. And how do we help them get out of that? And I, you know, I, I know at Sophia, um, you know, we definitely, I, I don't think people have to get worse to get better. And, you know, if they are maybe you know, really looking at these mechanisms of why is their body having a hard time, um, getting rid of these biotoxins and environmental toxins. And so, um, so yeah, I am so glad that you're um, bringing this information to light and, um, well, let's just, um, hear from you. What is, um, phase 2.5 detoxification? Sure. And I think a, a place to start is reviewing normal detoxification. So we have to get rid of quote unquote toxins and they can fall into two categories. So we have our exobiotics, which are usually referred to as xenobiotics. And those can be environmental pollutants, dietary substances, chemicals in our environment. And then we have endobiotics. So our body does need to get rid of um, fat soluble vitamins at times, thyroid hormone, bile acid, cholesterol. So um, we get rid of those things by first putting them through our body's own detoxification pro um, protocol. And that, and that is phase zero. So that's for simplicity's sake, let's just talk about the workhorse of detoxification. And that is the liver cell. So these toxins have to get into our liver cell and that's phase zero. So that's like opening the door into the liver. And then some need to go through phase one detoxification and that is oxidation, hydrolysis, hydration. So a lot of different um, you know, toxins have to go through different um, stages, but some don't have to go through phase one. But for again, for simplicity terms, your, your body puts them through phase one and they get a little bit more reactive. And the goal is then for those toxins to go through phase two, 
detoxification, which is uh, glucuronidation, sulfation, methylation, and that is conjugating the toxin so that it is water soluble. And that is in hopes that the toxin will go through the membrane transporter into the bile so that once it's in the bile, it, the bile can have the excretory mechanism where it gets it into the intestine and then eventually it is excreted as waste. So that is the whole goal. That's the normal flow. So what 2.5 is, is that when the toxin is conjugated and it's gone through phase two, it's all packaged up and pretty and it is ready to be escorted into the bile caniculus. So you just think of it as a doorway. So it has to go through a membrane transporter and that membrane transporter is called the MRP2 transporter. And so that door has to open and then the, the water soluble toxin will go into the bile. So that's one part of phase 2.5. There's three things that have to happen in tandem. So that's number one, the toxin goes through the MRP2 into the bile. That is coupled with bile salts going through the BSEP, bile salt export protein. Just think of these as doorways. So you have the bile salts going into, again, the bile caniculus. And then lastly, you have phosphatidylcholine going through the MDR into the bile caniculus. So phase 2.5 detox is, is really not a quote-unquote detox. It's just the normal doors opening to get the toxin, to get the bile salts, to get the phosphatidylcholine into the bile so that it'll flow and that it'll naturally just go into the intestine and then, again, be excreted. So that, that is, that, that in a nutshell is phase 2.5 detoxification. Mm-hmm. And that's an excellent, um, simplistic description of something very complex. I, I know, um, you're making it a lot simpler than it is. And so, um, what are some symptoms that our patients could be experiencing if this, these doors are not opening in their, um, you know, liver cells and bile? Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. So imagine that you have the toxins and they're ready to be pushed into the bile, but the doors are closed. And we're going to talk about why the phase 2.5 gets shut down. Okay. So imagine if those are, are shut, where are the toxins going to go? Well, they're going to go right back into your bloodstream. And so you're not going to feel very well if those toxins cannot get out and then they're going to go back into your bloodstream. So I attribute that to when um, people get on detox protocols or, you know, they just, they, they take something that upregulates phase one or phase two and they feel worse because you have that, those toxins going right back into your blood. They're going to your brain. You know, you just don't, you don't feel well overall. So that's one of the things that I will always ask patients. Okay. Did you have any sort of reaction? Now I'll also ask them all the traditional bile questions, you know, any, um, you have a history of SIBO. So if you have a history of SIBO and we're going to get into the mechanisms, the, of bile, because bile, when I was taught in medical school, we were so myopic about bile, bile. I just thought, Oh, bile is good for making sure you're absorbing your fats. Well, bile is a whole lot more than making sure that you absorb your fats. But, um, again, so you're just looking at the, um, the questions of, of after you eat, for quadrant pain, do you have, um, you know, itchy palms? Um, do you have nausea post um, meals? You know, there's there's a there's a plethora of questions that are of symptoms and signs that go with phase 2.5, simply because bile has so many far-reaching effects 
everything from our thyroid metabolism, uh, cholesterol metabolism, again, gut motility. So bile, bile salts will actually um, upregulate, um, will stimulate motilin, which stimulates the migrating motor complex. So I've had patients who've had constipation for years and years and years, and we get their bile flowing. We get the phase 2.5 doors open, and, you know, things get better really fast. And that's, again, you know, all you're doing is honoring the body's God-given uh, detoxification mechanisms. And so, um, you know, these are common symptoms, you know, that we see, right, in a lot of our patients. And so um, why do these doors, if you will, get um, closed and how, um, you know, how should we think of why this system isn't working? Sure. So the, the number one thing that will shut down your phase 2.5 is inflammation. Now, I don't know about you, Christine, but uh, pretty much everybody who walks in my door has some sort of inflammation from some sort of trigger. And I look at inflammation as it's not just when you look in your CRP, your C-reactive protein is high or low. It goes way farther than that. And I actually just published a, a document on my website for, um, for anyone to, um, how do you know if you're inflamed? So we look at all kinds of um, different markers, you know, the, other than just CRP to, to see if someone's inflamed. And then the question is why? So I, I put that in four different categories, uh, the physical, chemical, my emotional, microbial. And we go over these over and over again. And it's really up to the practitioner, their style, I would say, of how you go about managing the inflammation. And a huge issue, ongoing issue, is obviously the gut. And LPS, lipopolysaccharide, endotoxin, will also shut down your detox 2.5. So, you know, the root cause of a lot of disease, again, is not having gut optimization, the gut function. So bad gut causes inflammation and the inflammation will cause, you know, the phase 2.5 to shut down and then you'll have more toxins in your blood and then you won't feel good. And then your gut, it's just, it's a very vicious circle. Uh, but those are the two that really, really um, will shut that down. So the number one thing I say, I, first of all, I say phase 2.5 has to come first. You don't optimize phase one first. You don't optimize. You, you should really optimize phase 2.5. You should look at a full inflammation panel and you should look and see what's going on. Where, where are your um, foundational cracks? You know, do you have to, you know, you know we live in a, such a toxic world that, you know, the food sources and air and water, it's really hard to manage inflammation. You know, just say it's not black or white. Oh, I'm inflamed. I'm not. But, you know, to really get a handle on that, I would say, you know, definitely um, I use uh, in the past year, I've used a lot of hydrogen water. I really like the echo by Synergy Science hydrogen water because hydrogen water is um, molecular hydrogen is a selective antioxidant and it upregulates NERF too. So I like the fact that we're using something that's not just driving, you know, pushing really hard on anything. It's, it's selective. So it means it'll turn on when you need it and it won't, you know, won't, um, interfere with biochemistry. You know, it's, it, it, again, I'm, I'm very simplistic. I'm a minimalist when it comes to supplements, when it comes to thing, I believe in removing inhibitors first. So identifying those inhibitors. And I know you and Dr. Klinghart as well. I mean, if you have your foot on the gas and your foot on the brake, the brake's going to win. So we have got to look at what's you know, what's inhibiting our, our natural pathways, our natural anti-inflammatory pathways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and with the hydrogen water, do you feel, um, you know, that this is something um, that works immediately where people get um, symptom relief um, and start to disinflaming? Or do you feel like you have to 
um, you know, um, you start there and then you decide what other things you have to add. You know, I'm starting with the hydrogen water. You know, it's, it's been studied in um, 150 human um, diseases. So it's really well studied and it's, and it also has a really positive effect on the gut. So I'm starting there and then I'm, and then I'm looking at what inhibitors do I have to remove? You know, do they need um, extra support in um, heavy metal clearance? I'm putting people on intestinal binders. I'm supporting bile flow. I mean, I, again, I'm supporting bile flow. We're just like continue to support bile flow. And I don't mean that I'm trying to push toxins out. Cause again, I think if you try and really radically push them out with some of the um, heavier hitters, the detox that you'll end up again, having the phase 2.5, it'll kind of backfire on you and it'll cause more inflammation. So I like things like artichoke and dandelion and, and bitters um, to really help open up the bile flow. I love Tudka. That's my new, uh, there was a study published October 31st of this year about bile acid, excuse me, um, bile flow impairment and MS. And they were using Tudka and that's just a bile um, acid. And again, you don't want to overdo anything. So bile acids um, can interfere. They can actually upregulate TGR5, which causes T4, more conversion of T4 to T3. So you know, I don't have people just you know taking a bunch of anything. We're very methodical. I, I like when people um, you know track their HRV. I like when they track their deep sleep and when we do one variable at a time. So if there's one thing that I could say to your listeners would be really um, important is Again, be simplistic. Do one thing at a time and, and track your HRV and track things that are, are objective. And all, of course, you can uh, you know, track how you're feeling. But for me, that's that's been really powerful in my practice in, as of late. Mm-hmm. With um, HRV, do you do that in the office or do you have – and that's heart rate variability for people who yes. um, know that term. Do you track that in your office or do you have home tools where people can track um, their HRV? So we do both. We do uh, in the office and we also, the, the Aura Ring, will, and I have no affiliation, will um, track overnight your HRV. And um, also there's an app um, that can track HRV. There's a lot of apps out there on your phone that can track it. But that's just a really good measure of is your body responding well to what you're doing um, and or are you overdoing it? So that, that's just been priceless for me. And it puts, it puts the, the patient, it puts them in the driver's seat because a lot of the times people feel so disempowered and they don't know what to do and they don't know, you know, like how much of this. And I always will tell people, start very low, do one thing at a time. This is a marathon. I know everyone, you know, kind of cringes because I was so sick. I could not get out of bed. I could not read to my kids. I mean, they were, they were watching me die. They, they would take pictures of me with their little iPad because they wanted to know what I I looked like when I died. It was horrific. And when people look at me and I, I've had another baby since I've had diagnosed with Lyme. I mean, I, I I feel 110% better. What I would say is, is, is slow and steady wins, wins the race and it's, it's ongoing. And I myself drink hydrogen echo water. I myself, you know, grow broccoli sprouts and take my sulforaphane. And I will say this on a tangent is sulforaphane will stabilize your MRP too. It will stabilize that one of the doorways for your phase 2.5. So another reason why it's a wonderful nutrient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely in a broccoli sprout kick at so yeah. now too. So I'm I'm excited that you are as well. And so um so no, so many great tidbits and then um 
Aura rings are, you know, um, something that I, I personally actually wanted to um, experience. Um, I know that um, Dr. Mercola and Dave Asprey and these types of people have been promoting, um, you know, the aura ring. And I, they're, you know, these wearable devices that we can get more objective information to kind of guide our um, decisions and guide, you know, um, it's sometimes good to have that biofeedback tool, especially when you've been feeling um, not well for so long. And for, you know, our listeners who are aware of EMF, um, I believe the aura ring, you can turn off the Bluetooth and you don't have to, um, it has like the lowest EMF exposure is my understanding for wearable devices. Right. So, um, I know that's a concern for a lot of, um, our listeners. So, um, so, but I, I think we should, um, figure out a way to use this technology to support our health, which you have. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that idea. So Kelly, so let's go back to, um, do we, do you know, um, or do you have ideas of, okay, so obviously inflammation is going to be, um, you know, blocking our phase 2.5, but are there people, um, who show up in our office that are going to be more susceptible than others to impaired de- um, phase 2.5 detoxification? And how do we, um, possibly identify if we're one of those people? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And that's where my genetic training came in. And I would say that the people who I kept seeing coming back with SIBO, I went, there's something going on. And I just happened to be doing their genetics and looking at, you know, is there something that they had in common? And again, I, I don't, I don't treat genetics. I don't treat, you know, when someone comes in and they have the MTHFR, I don't slam them with, you know, methylfolate, but it's, for me, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a piece of who are, who is this person and what, what foundational cracks or, you know, where might there be something that's off? And with the patients I had coming in, I noticed that they had, um, they had a predisposition to having um, genetic polymorphisms, so SNPs, so single nucleotide polymorphisms, in their ACAT, so A-C-A-T uh, gene, and that is re- responsible for production of acetyl-CoA, and that's a building block of bile acids. So if you are impaired on how you are actually going to make bile acids, do you, you see how this whole, you know, the me- the beautiful mechanism of phase one, phase two, and then out through 2.5 and then to three, you, you're, you're lacking there. So that was a big clue for me. I myself have ACAT SNPs in there, and I actually had my gallbladder removed when I was 20. It was, oh, you have some cholestasis, let's just cut it out. <laughs> so <laughs> that didn't really work very well for me. Um and also in this group and in a lot of people that I've identified, they have problems with the PANK gene, P-A-N-K. Now, again, you don't have to know this. This is not imperative information. This is just how I you know, just went down this pathway of discovering kind of what was going on with biophysiology. But PANK is responsible for making the CoA. So PANK, um, the CoA, you can take pantothene. And I know we take pantothene for other reasons. So Pantothene can kind of fill in the gaps for someone who, who might have problems producing the, the CoA. And then PEMT. So PEMT is the, is the enzyme that basically creates your phosphatidylcholine. So uh, your phosphatidylcholine makes our bile nice and um, fluid. So it's flowing. And you can imagine if you're not producing, you're not having the, the methylation, even if your methylation is not working, you're not producing the phosphatidylcholine to make your bile flow. You're going to have bile stagnation. 
Um, and you know, you're going to have low fat soluble vitamin counts. You might, you might, you have, again, all those things we talked about with the gut related and um, biophysiology, some liver insults. So, um, PEMT is something that I'll look at and I love to, to do things with food. I'm a big foodie. So I'm like, okay, well, let's see if any of these foods that, that would, uh, contain uh, phosphatidylcholine, if you can, if you can eat those, so almonds and eggs and things, but some people can't. So, um, if you want to try phosphatidylcholine, you can, I recommend always going slow and tracking everything and seeing how you feel. But phosphatidylcholine is one of the three components of all of your cell membranes. So it's pretty darn important. Um, and in my practice, we use, um, BIA. So we'll use, um, the phase angle as an indirect measure of, of what I think, um, would be a clue to their actually not producing the phosphatidylcholine. So, you know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, probably a duck and, and using some phosphatidylcholine is pretty low risk. Um, so, or, you know, or consuming foods that are high, high in phosphatidylcholine. So I, I like to approach it like that. And then lastly, um, uh, not to get too heady, but the, the MRP2, and again, that's that, that's the doorway that the toxins, the conjugate toxins get out into the bile that is coded by the gene called ABCC2. And I, when I found this, I found this when I was preparing the seminar that Dr. Eric Balkavage and I, um, we put on, um, this past fall on phase 0.2.5 detoxification. And we have an online class and I'll talk about that. Um, if we have time, but when I found the ABCC2, I went, Oh, that's like the size of your door. So do you have a big door where you can get all the toxins out? Or might you have a little tiny door where, you know, I would say these are the people who they consider bad detoxers. So I started to go back and look at all the people who I've seen who are quote unquote bad detoxers. And sure enough, there were three, there are three in the literature, published in literature's um, RS numbers, so SNPs, that correlate with a decreased function, decreased transporting function of the MRP2. So I just like to really, in simple terms, their door for getting toxins just right off the bat may be smaller. So again, so with those um, people, I would suggest things that help stabilize sulforaphane, uh, molecular hydrogen water, just, you know, even if um, it's just, it's a nice safety net to just have because it's a selective antioxidant. Um, I also will um, use um, Tudka again, because that will stabilize that transporter and, um, and a little bit of vitamin D can be helpful as well. And then caloric restriction of 35% is published as stabilizing the MRP too. So, um, I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting. And I think that, um, by doing that, you naturally decrease your, um, your caloric intake. If you're, you're narrowing your eating window and that has seemed to also help my bad detoxers or people who just can't turn the corner, they just, they start to lift. They start to get that edge back. Like, Oh, I feel better. My heart rate variability is getting better. Okay. I'm sleeping. My deep sleep is better. Well, let's just start with intermittent fasting. How long do you recommend people for, um, to fast? Like what's the window that you've seen be most effective and how many days per week? So the intermittent fasting, um, again, the, the practice is, is different again, based on their, their heart rate variability. So, I, I try to have them start out by just reducing the breakfast you know, time to, to try and get breakfast a little bit later in the day. Some would argue that it's easier, it's better for circadian rhythms because we're better, or we have um, a greater insulin response in the morning. So 
I just look at the person and say, what's going to stress you out the least? Is it not eating dinner or moving dinner to 4 p.m.? And just really try and, and tighten it up and just keep going until you can see when the body starts to get stressed. And then you go, oh, guess what? You cannot fast for 14 hours. I need you to go to 13. And it's really neat because of the person who, you know, is tracking is like, oh, okay. I, you know, it's, it's very much empowering for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Intermittent fasting. Um, there's so much great research now, um, you know, around autophagy and mTOR and all of that. I feel like a lot of our patients are embracing that, you know, and some who are really weak at first, of course, you know, they have to build up to that. But I, um, that's interesting that this, um, also helps, uh, phase 2.5, um, and then I know um, our audience is probably curious. A lot of them have heard of this, but um, you know, with the you mentioning um, how you assess people with BIA and phase angle, can you just like give like a like couple sentences about like what that actually is in case people are curious? Sure. So a phase angle is basically an indirect measure of how well your the integrity of your cell membranes. So indirectly, if you're looking at um, phosphatidylcholine status. That's one of the three components of every single cell membrane in your body. So when I'm looking at a low phase angle, I like to see it around seven and above. When I'm looking at a low phase angle, that gives me a hunch to say, okay, well, your, your, your PC status, your phosphocholine status may be low because you have these symptoms of, of, of cholestasis or you're, 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 I don't think your bile's flowing. And I've had practitioners, you know, now that this phase 2.5 has been out there, they're, they're like, 80% of the people who come walk into my office have some sort of impairment in this biofuel process in this phase 2.5. So I'm looking at them and I'm going, well, why don't we do a trial? Why don't we try this and, and see how you do and try and get that, that phase angle, that in the, the measure of the integrity of the cell membranes to come up because Christine, you know, it's membrane medicine. I mean, the membrane is, is extremely important um, in, in overall health. So that's kind of my, my elevator pitch on the, um, the BIA. It's very simple. You know, it's just some, um, a measurement, really quick electrode measurement, um, that we do. It's cheap. Great. Great. No, it's great information. And, you know, we use, um, we have IV therapy in our office. So we, um, over the years have used a lot of, um, not only oral um, phospholipids and also um, even rectally phospholipids, but also IV um, phosphatidylcholine. And we will use um, essential N um, uh, phosphatidylcholine. Do you have any feedback on how you feel that, um, you know, works for patients as far as um, supporting phase 2.5 detoxification? So we're early on, but we definitely in the office, we're, do, we're starting to do the IV PC. Um, and again, I, I try to go low and slow. So I like to try and start with the oral. Um, but again, it's, it's where I, I, I love to, to bounce, you know, things off of practitioners like yourself where, okay, what did this work? Did that, you know, that's why conferences are nice because we have these conversations, you know, on the sidelines and things, but I've been getting a really good, um, response doing oral. And I'd say about, you know, 75% of the patients. Now you, you can have people who don't react well. And, um, you know, then you're looking at, okay, okay, where, you know, where do we go with that? Do we support more methylation? Do we give a little bit of creatine to take some of the, you know, the, 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 the actual creation, you know, of the, um, where the methylation is going. So it, you know, it, it's just a little bit different with each patient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like, um, before I, you know, heard about phase 2.5, um, detoxification, we've been using, um, 
essential and um, IV therapy over the years, and I I tend to be lower um, dosing than a lot of um, what Patricia Kane protocols would do. And I find that it's really gentle, and when it's the right thing at the right time, you know, p- patients really feel um, better um, from that. So it's it's been a really awesome tool for for us. Um, so. I know a lot of patients are really educated around the genetic piece, but those four SNPs that you just shared, can everybody get that information, you know, from 23andMe? Can you just walk through um, if somebody wanted to start learning about um, this part of their genetic profile, how how can they get this information? Yeah, I I personally use um, functional genomic assessment from Bob Miller, and and I used to get the data, the raw data from 23andMe. So I know that 23andMe can be processed a lot in a lot of different software programs, and a lot of different software programs will give you the information on the ABCC2, the ACAT, the PINK, and the PEMT. But again, if you don't have your genetics and you don't want to do your genetics, or you just you you feel um, like you just want to empirically try some pantothene, empirically try some, I think that's reasonable as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I know lab testing can be helpful, but it isn't always, um, you know, necessary to get the right treatment either. Right. And then, um, Kelly, I'm curious, you mentioned like when you look at, um, inflammation, you said that it can be, um, you know, physical, chemical, emotional, and microbial. Um, one of, you know, our focuses at Sophia is definitely looking at the you know, pathogen piece, whether it's, you know, these chronic parasitic infections or fungal infections or viral infections or Lyme and co-infections and so forth. Um, How do you feel like the um, microbial piece, I mean, you mentioned um, SIBO already, but how do you feel like um, that plays into this whole process? Oh, definitely. You know, if if there's a microbial um, infection that we're not addressing, uh, you know, it, you're just going to spur on the inflammation. So um, we do GI map testing, we do kinesiology, we do um, you know, other testing to to make sure that we're not missing anything. Um, and definitely, we're taking mold a lot more seriously um, this year after hearing Andy Heyman speak and some of the other um, Jill Carnahan. So. Um, we're, you know, really definitely not trying to treat, we're not, you know, I, I always look at, um, strengthening the host as I think is the way to go. Chasing pathogens is really, I think it beats a body down. Um, and that's why, you know, phase 2.5 is it's nothing, it's simply nothing but honoring your body's biochemistry and just removing the blocks, removing, you know, what's going on. So, um, uh, you know, just making sure that gut is functioning, making sure that, um, the, the endotoxin isn't, you know, flying around. And, um, and again, it's not, it's not one and done. It's not like, Oh, I fixed my gut and I'm done. It's like, well, you know, we live in this toxic world. We have to, um, you know, really keep on top of that. And, and that's why I am, I'm definitely a fan of intestinal binders because once you get that bile flowing and the bile has made it to the colon, we don't want enterohepatic recirculation to happen. And that happens a lot of times. And so I think of intestinal binders as your insurance policy um, to have them meet um, the waste, meet the toilet and to get them out. So, you know, I'm a big fan of, of those. Um, I actually formulated one that's a bit more comprehensive than other things on the market because I was sick of taking like the bottle of charcoal, the bottle of coral, a bottle of this, bottle of that. <laughs> um, and, and, and really um, using that, I, 
I would say that I'm also a really big fan of infrared saunas um, and getting sweating those toxins out. I think that they're really um, important um, to use those as well and um, take the burden off of your liver and your gallbladder and that in the bile um, system. Um, I, I didn't mention yet that um, a, a, something that will really shut down your 2.5 is bad estrogen. So everybody gets a Dutch test. Um, you know, bad estrogen can shut down the, the, the BCEP and the, um, uh, the, the MRP2. So really managing that, don't leave any stone unturned um, to make sure that that's not, um, that's not happening is really important as well. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of our chronically ill female patients are estrogen dominant and that can be, you know, part of this, it sounds. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And that's where you end up getting your gallbladder out because, you know, that's the magic answer is to just take the, take the organ out. So, um, yeah, I know that I know. And that, um, you know, many of our patients do come to us and their gallbladder, um, you know, is, has been removed or, you know, um, it's cranky if you will. And so, um, even if you remove your gallbladder, you still have this process going on in the body. And so that's something, um, you know, for us to, of course, um, you know, for patients not to um, think, oh, now that I don't have a gallbladder, this isn't relevant. I mean, it's absolutely relevant still to their body. Oh, absolutely. More so, right? Oh, even absolutely, even more so. You have to really pay attention to making sure that your bile is flowing even even more because you don't have a reservoir. You don't have that where you know you have an excess stored up amount and um, hydration. We didn't even mention hydration, and I you know, the, the bile is, it consists of 95% water and, um, those aquaporin, those, those transporters with, with, you know, the water flowing through them, that's really important. And the lack of, of hydration has been tied to gallstone formation, um, and cholestasis. So, you know, be on top of that, you know, trying to, trying to stay on top of, um, of your water status, which is so simple, but so easy to miss, you know, especially if you have a couple, couple cups of coffee a day, um, and then also, Christine, we didn't mention, I didn't mention yet, the importance of magnesium. Um, it, I just cannot stress enough how many um, RBC, so the only way, in my opinion, to measure uh, accurately magnesium is to look at the red blood cell magnesium levels. And even with people who really think that, you know, they're taking enough, um, I've seen it where it's, it's just it's just too low. And so looking at... Um, are, you know, that level is really important. And, you know, you can't make ATP without magnesium. And how many of our people in our care are, are um, in the cell danger response? And so we're already shuttling out our ATP for signaling reasons. So we really need to pay attention to that. Um, last month, I think I was kind of starting to feel a little bit under the weather. And I thought, what is going on? So I kind of ran my case by um, Dr. Eric Belkavage. And he goes, well, why don't you check your RBC magnesium? And I'm like, oh no, no, I take really, I take a lot of magnesium. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, sure enough, my, you know, my mags down to like three and I'm like, oh my goodness. So you know, I, myself, I really, um, can't stress enough that it seems so simple, but again, for ATP, the, the, the energy currency of the body and, and ATP is really, um, driving a lot of these transporters. So, you don't have um, the ATP 
phase 2.5 is not going to work as well. So again, go back to the cell danger response. You know, you're not producing it and that's, you know, that's that's going to shut it down as well. You're going to be able to maybe make your bile if you don't have any issues, but then where's it going to go if it can't get out? So again, bile acids in your, in your blood, you know, not going into the bile, that's not a good thing. Mm-mm-mm. What about um, what what forms? There's many types of magnesium. Do you have a preference, or just do you rotate through a lot of different from maglycinate, malate, threonate? Yeah, threonate. I you know uh, topical mag, uh, Epsom salt bass. You know, just keep rotating and and find one. And just what you mentioned, I like all of those. The malate, um, all those. I don't like citrate because I I really feel like ceruloplasm and, and that's kind of a whole different topic and animal ceruloplasm iron metabolism copper metabolism i feel um i know that uh make citrate can interfere with ceruloplasm and in, in your copper carrying ability you do not want to mess with that because that is mitochondrial function and um iron transport you want the iron to go in the right places so um i i stay away from the make citrate mm-hmm. that's a good point the iron um issue i know um bob and you are big on looking at, you know, when people can't process their iron and that creates more inflammation. And I think that's a big issue in our, in our patients. Um, Absolutely. Kelly, I have so many, you know, um, you have so many great pearls here. So um, I don't know if you have any insights, you know, obviously um, people walk around dehydrated all day, um, but I do find in our patient population, um, you know, they're frequently thirsty, they pee a lot, they're up at night peeing. And I know, in Dr. Shoemaker's model, um, we look at antidiuretic hormone being low. Um, but do you have any other insights when we see this like chronic dehydration and um, low antidiuretic hormone or any other things to look at? I, I find that, as you just said, it's such a foundational piece to our health. And, um, you know, I, I have my some of my patients, you know, carrying water bottles around, putting electrolytes in their water, and they're still not um, absorbing their water. So I was just curious. Yeah, I, I'm really particular about the water that I drink. I think a lot of people um, don't just don't have access to good water, and they're drinking dead water, and it's really not hydrating them. And so, um, you know, I, I, if you can, try and find an aquifer, um, or you know, try and it, it's hard because you know I, I used to use a reverse osmosis, but I just kept drinking so much, and I still feel de- dehydrated, dehydrated. Um, I, I personally think that the the hydrogen water machines can actually help a, a little bit. And, you know, there's a million different things you can do to try and um, energize your water. But I, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying about, you know, the, there's, there's something going on with the antidiuretic hormone and other things. And I, I really think that also plays into um, obviously mitochondrial function and, um, you know, perhaps um, um, glucose metabolism, fatty acid metabolism, it's all, it's all intertwined. So, you know, again, I, I, I don't put everybody on a ketogenic diet, but I, I try um, and at least, you know, see what's going on if they're even able to like burn fats and things and um, going kind of down that road as, as well. But looking at the Dutch, going, going back to the Dutch and being able to, to take a deeper look into the adrenal function. Um, and adrenal, it ties to the, the HPA access and uh, actually ties to phase 2.5. And I, I won't go too much into that. That's in that really, we, we take a deep dive in our um, online class, um, Dr. Eric Balcavage and I, that we taught. And that's going to be online. We're going to launch that pretty soon if people want to know really the ins and outs and the intricacies 
of um, how the bile, bile acids and things when they're not in the proper ratios and they're going into the blood and how they can affect that and how they can decrease um, cortisol, um, uh, some action in the kidney um, of that. And, and I, I think it all plays together. And I, I really, I go back to inflammation. I go back to the physical, chemical, emotional, microbial. And I don't, I don't overlook any of those. I, I used to be the doctor who overlooked the emotional, like, oh, this has nothing to do with, you know, the trauma you went through or what. Well, you know, that's absolutely, that's not a good way to, um, to be. So I always address emotional because the emotional component is so real and so important. I'm a big fan of DNRS. I'm a big fan of heart math, um, of doing, you know, breath work, all very, very important, um, in my practice and making sure that we're, I don't miss that component. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you and Dr. Klinghardt as well, um, have that piece in your practice. Mm-hmm. It's a big piece, you know, um, he calls it the five levels of healing. So there's the physical, energetic, mental, intuitive, and spiritual bodies. And just, um, how, you know, physical symptom can, um, have a causation on another, um, level. And, you know, we have to look at all of them, you know, all the levels to treat people. And, um, yeah, no, I, I, we have a lot of different tools, but I, I agree. I mean, I think there's definitely, um, there's sometimes a, past trauma that um, makes people one of the susceptibilities for being sick. And then there's really the trauma of being ill too, of um, going through the medical system and what it does to your family system. And, you know, there's just a lot of um, pieces to the emotional puzzle. So I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, the liver and the gallbladder, you know, right in Chinese medicine, there's this whole emotional, you know, piece to that when that isn't working well, people can be, you know, more irritable, angry, resentful, like all of these um, emotions. Right. do come up when you're um, not processing, um, you know, toxins very well. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, of course, the, the EMF, I mean, I, I, I literally, we go through um, EMF um, safety, how to protect yourself, how to, how to completely take it seriously, because it's something that um, I think plays a big role. And I do talk about that in the podcast I did with Scott Forsgren, how the masters of inflammation, the mast cells, you know, when they start overreacting and that can be from EMF, you know, it's just this vicious circle of, uh, you know, microglial activation and, uh, you know, you have the mast cell involvement and it's, uh, again, you know, luteolin using nutraceuticals, but, but getting at root causes like shut, you know, shut off your Wi-Fi at night. I mean, at least shut it off at night, you know, do things, you know, don't hold your laptop in your lap. Those are cumulative. And, and, and really trying to get that point across, like there's, you know, you have a bucket and if you continue to fill that bucket all day long with just these little things, you know, like you're not filtering your water and then you have your, your, your laptop on your lap all day, you know, you're, it's cumulative. You're, you're not going to feel well. So, you know, just doing even like a, a product check with, with, with the, my patients, like, what are you putting um, on your body? <laughs> you know, like what shampoos are you using? What soaps are you using? You know, it seems very insignificant, but at the end of the day, it can really, we can really make um, really significant uh, difference when we inventory on on all those levels, like you just said, inventory them all and address them all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you make that a big issue. I know that there's so much more awareness now about EMF and, um, you know, I know Dr. Klingert's been talking about it for a while. I'm just people like looked at him like, really? <laughs> you know um but it is it's and more unfortunately it's it's one of these things that 
um, it's going to get worse before we get better with 5G and, you know, yeah. so we just have to, um, yeah, just be mindful and protect ourselves. And, you know, I'm big on sleeping location as well because, um, you know, that's the time that your body's going to heal and repair and your brain's going to detoxify. So, you know, trying to create a really safe EMF um, free zone, you know, for sleep. So I think that's really important. Um, Kelly, you mentioned you created a binder. I'm, I'm curious, what's in your binder? So um, it is chlorella, activated charcoal, bentonite, clay, and sodium alginate. And then I put in some aloe and um, some acacia gum just because binders can be constipating. So um, we're going to formulate one um, without chlorella as well. So, you know, just a little bit practitioner choice. And then, uh, you again, you start off slowly and you make sure that you're not wasting your money on binders if your 2.5 door is closed. So, you know, start with really inventorying the inflammation and making sure like you're optimizing your gut and you're optimizing, um, you know, that transporter, you know, do a little broccoli sprouts, get a little hydrogen water, you know, just manage the gut a little bit better and get those things going. And then um, I also formulated a phase 2.5 product from professional health products to help gently, gently, I would say not push the liver, you know, again, I'm not into this pushing these toxins out, but but just helping bile move as it should. And so it has artichoke in it. Artichoke is a very well studied, um, um, you know, nutrient that can help with, um, you know, liver, liver issues with, um, bile, bile physiology, and then some dandelion, just some bitter herbs to help again, push, um, the bile and then glycine and taurine, because those bile, when you're manufacturing the bile, um, the bile acids, those are what you conjugate with. And then a little bit of choline, just a little bit. So, you know, we're not doing anything um, uh, too hard, but then you can kind of gently start to open the doors and then start to bind. And then just a little bit more and, it, and it's, and it's patient by patient, like what you, what you want to do with, um, with those nutrients. Is, um, so that's with professional health products and is your binder with professional health products? Yeah. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, I'm going to try those out for sure. I'll send you some, don't worry. I'll, I'll send you some. <laughs> no, but I, I like that um, combination binder thing. Binders are such a foundational um, part of our protocol, and it's the hardest part for our patients, um, you know, to take the doses that they need and then away from food or, you know, it's just yeah, right. one of those um, pain points in our protocol. So I'm always looking for easier tools. I guess one of my, you know, I guess last questions, and I, I'm sure this is maybe many people are thinking this too, but where do um, coffee enemas fit in this whole whole um Oh, sure. Sure. I, I, I love coffee. I think that if you have the clear from your healthcare practitioner, I that you know, the, the coffee enemas can be very helpful with getting, getting things out. And I think that's why people have such a, a great response for them. They can just start to fl- move the bile. That's exactly what we're doing. So if you're, if, if you got cleared to do them, then, you know, that would be something I would also add is as well as visceral manipulation. Um, that's not in my wheelhouse, but I will definitely refer out if I feel like, uh, you know what, let's put, let's try this. Let's try some moving that around, getting, you know, that, that moving. That's a, that's another thing that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, this is, you know, I, I'm so excited to just take this deeper, um, get this deeper insight into all of this. Um, what my patients have shown me over the years is that, you know, um, their liver and their bile, their bile stuck, right. And, um, getting their bile moving, you know, I didn't realize, you know, kind of all of these pieces, but I knew, 
getting their bio moving, you know, really help them feel better. And, um, you know, this is just, um, you know, really important information. And I think, you know, if people are out there and just, you know, it's overwhelming, right? When you have a everybody's telling you what to do. you get like three different opinions from all these different doctors. But I think this is such a foundational um, starting point that, you know, and, and it's safe, you know, none of this is going to, you know, um, harm. I mean, anything can harm you if you take too much of anything, but I, this is like a safe starting point. If people don't know where to start, I feel like this is, um, this is great, Kelly. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I personally do. When I look back at what really got um, me over the hump. It was, it was opening up 2.5 and moving my bile. Absolutely. Like those were the things where it's like, oh, I got the edge. I got, I started to lessen the toxic load. So I'm just so thankful. I, we become thankful for the things that we've been through because other people can benefit from them. And this is definitely one of those things. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's just a great, you know, attitude to have, you know, when you're going through, you know, that the, this, um, you know, the suffering, it's hard to see the meaning in it. Um, but it, you know, I know that you've helped so many people because of it. So, um, no, I'm grateful for you sharing your knowledge and, um, you know, Kelly, where can people find out more about you, how to work with you? And then also you mentioned your, you do, um, you know, I know that you put on seminars and courses and, um, how can people learn more from you as well? Sure. So my website is where all my content is um, one stop shop. It's drkellyhalderman.com. So D R K E L L Y H A L D E R M A N. I um, put the events that I'm going to speak at, I put um, articles that you can download um, and um, just a lot of content on there that I'm, you know, always updating when I'm learning, I try just for free. And then I also have the online course, the phase 2.5 detoxification, which is for practitioners and for lay people. It's for both because, you know, people who um, are studying this and who are lay people, they're smart, you know, I mean, like they teach us stuff. So, um, that's going to be available probably in the next week. Um, I'll, um, you know, definitely have, I'll hopefully maybe be able to shoot you like an online discount code for that. Um, but we're really excited because we really want people to learn, to go in, in depth in it and, um, you know, talk, really expound on what I just said and, and learn, um, learn about it. So we're excited about that. Dr. Eric and I are excited about that. Well, thank you so much for your time today and all the great work that you're doing and all the knowledge that you're sharing. And I, um, I hope to meet you in person, you know, maybe I want to, a conference, you know, an upcoming conference. I would love to, um, you know, meet you in person. If you're ever in Seattle, please, you know, come and visit us. Um, But no, I really, really thank you for your time and all of this wonderful um, information. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I really hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Dr. Kelly Halderman. Again, I learned a ton, and if you want to learn more about her work, you can find it on her website, drkellyhalderman.com. And again, if you are enjoying these podcasts, we would love to hear from you. Um, Please feel free to uh, leave a review. And if you have any questions, comments, uh, guest suggestions, please email us at info at drchristineschaffner.com. Thank you.